You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com hunt this spring. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, oh, oh. O'Reilly Auto Parts My name is Clay Newcomb and this is a production of the Bear Grease Podcast called the Bear Grease Render where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Hold on. <laughs> Brent, what? Tell, me, uh, tell me what you've got on your chain all called, parts of it. That's called a watch fob. A watch fob. I got a pocket watch on the long Tucked portion. into the top pouch of your overalls. Uh, yep. And then there's a watch fob there for decoration, and that is a sterling silver coon. I just noticed there. that for the first time today. Where'd you get that? That was a Father's Day present. Really? Mm-hmm. Where, s- could, where could a man acquire a sterling raccoon fob? That could, the, the fob <laughs> come out of Austin, Texas, but the pocket watch come from... London, England. Really? Mm-hmm. Well, Clay, Pretty if classy. If you wasn't so young, you'd seen more of them. All the old-timers used to wear them in their overalls, have the chain on their watch, and had something other. Lot oh, of really? Had, so that's a lot thing. Of, a lot of them would have stuff, yeah. you know. Something yeah. on the end of, end it. of yeah. it. You could probably order that through Nightlight. You could, Mike could. This right here um, is, uh, I can't remember. You know, all uh, this this watch is made in England. And it's hard to find a watch that. Well, ain't, I'm going to put it. I'm going to put a little video of your uh, of your raccoon on my Instagram. Okay. So, hey, welcome to the Bear Grease Render Podcast. My oh my, do we have a great show today? <laughs> We've got a a a not so normal group of people. We usually have a uh, <laughs> on any level. No you, offense. What do you mean by that? <laughs> don't, don't take offense at that, guys. Include um, yourself in on that. Well, I do. I do. No. So. 
we, we've got we've got one guest too. I'm going to always introduce our guests at the end. Okay, so I ha- we have one guest here who is this is his first time. Usually, the group of guys that are here and woman, my wife is usually on the podcast. We kind of have my dad, Gary Newcomb, my wife, Misty, uh, Josh Spillmaker, Brent Reeves, and then the sixth person kind of comes in and out as a as a special guest. A lot of times, it's Isaac Neal. But today is way different. Uh, me and Brent are the only uh, regulars. Now, you guys are almost regulars, I've, and I'll introduce that but to my left brent reeves good to see you brent hey buddy beard's looking nice and trim looks like you got a little haircut yesterday okay yesterday i went and got got my hair pulled what my grandmother would say when she went to the beauty parlor but i don't i go to a barber shop a sure enough barbershop mm, glad you clarified that yeah to your left rusty johnson hey, my old buddy rusty good you've been, been on the render one time and then you've been on the bear grease podcast at least once yep because you're a whitetail secret keeper. I do have secrets. You're the so. ultimate whitetail secret keeper. <laughs> so, you uh, don't even tell his son. Special guest who I've not named yet. We did a whole podcast on whitetail secrets and basically explored how and why people keep secrets and how we distribute those secrets and how relationally as humans there's some like deep like psychological DNA stuff about who we tell stuff to and so rusty uh he was one of our feature guests on the whitetail secrets podcast so we'll, we can get back to that but <laughs> we're going to crack some of those secrets today okay for sure well, i doubt it so. good luck he said <laughs> i doubt it <laughs> so to your left is rustin johnson What's rustin on, clay rusty's son yeah and uh, man, good to see you, bro. It's good to see you too. I you, get some intel on some of those secrets, but I don't think all of them. Really? You, yeah. Uh, uh, he tells you everything he knows. You, well, that, he no. doesn't keep anything from you. <laughs> Look at uh, Rusty's face when he says He's this. got a funny uh, expression right now. <laughs> yeah. I'd say maybe most, but no, the secrets are real. The whitetail secrets are real. They're for real. Yeah. I, I, I would tend to agree. I get a lot of pictures from people uh, on my phone and uh, big bucks. And my my first my first question is, hey, where's that at? And it's crickets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean <laughs> there's there's no more answer. I mean, I asked another question, and it just it's just like it's uh, like that text killed them. It's crickets. Yeah. It's crickets. crickets. Well, I I got to brag on Rustin. Rustin, you, have you graduated from law school yet? I finally graduated. Really? I oh, JD. let's sue somebody. Yeah. <laughs> no, let's do it. No. <laughs> so yeah. man, that's a big deal. Oh yeah. Rustin is a. Whitetail guru killer. I love it. And a lawyer. Not How old quite. Are you yeah, I'm taking the bar exam in February. I okay. haven't quite taken it yet. I was supposed to take it uh, back in July, but I got COVID and kind of stunted my studying. So I just put a deferment in and taking it in February. So we can't sue anyone Great. yet, but we can go <laughs> we to can't well, sue anyone hey, yet. I'm it's October, though, so I'm we can go hoping Durant. that you can just defend Mo Shepard when they finally come after him. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I, I, I might need a good lawyer. I hope you are a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's that's a quite an accomplishment, man. How old are you? Twenty five. Twenty five. Married, two kids. That's right. Rut and Huntley, if that tells you anything about me. My kids. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. You know, I took a little bit of persecution from a few people who remain unnamed. Yeah. Uh when we named our children, which were I've got a son named Bear. Yeah. Daughter named River Willow, but I like it. Yeah. Hunt. Say say their names again. So I had I had my daughter first. Her name is Huntley. Huntley. Yeah. 
and you know that's just that's good but <laughs> i <laughs> remember it. on our hunt in december i i was excited to tell y'all and y'all came down with fire i said i'm naming my son bow hunter and y'all were like oh no people like are gonna two make names fun like bow no one straight up just bow hunter first name bow hunter and yeah everyone at the camp was like oh that's that's crazy so i backtracked just a little bit and it's rut now r-u-t so we got rusty rustin and rut I'll be time. darn. Yeah. My son's name is Drake Hunter. You're yeah. That's when I was guiding. Was a full time guide all. The time. Yeah, and I, I mean I know him as Hunter. And I thought my name was Go Get Wood till I was like fourteen. <laughs> <laughs> Mine still is that. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Rustin, your your wife's all on board with 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 these names. Oh yeah, that was a first date conversation. Yeah. First date? Yeah, I said I'm a hunter, and she said, "Oh yeah, that's cool." I said, "No, you don't realize." <laughs> like, yeah, I'm a I'm a deer hunter. Yeah. Right on. Well, that's good stuff. Great. Yeah. Well, skipping our our guest, who we'll introduce at the end, Mo Shepherd. Mo, Hello, good to Clay. see you, man. <laughs> Great good to see you. See too. You, you be, you're you're an old you're an old regular on here. Yeah. You're, you're, you know when you can't on. find anybody else, you call me. So that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess I'll call Mo. No. And <laughs> to Mo's right is Ralph Meeker of the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission. You, and now you are the what's your title? You're the deer biologist, the state deer state deer program coordinator. State deer program okay. coordinator. Yep. Man, we're honored to have you today, man. I well, got a I, question for Ralph right off the bat. Well, let the man introduce himself. <laughs> Hurry up, because no, I'm, it's I'm burning. Happy to, I'm happy to be here. Fire away. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> you you've, you grew up in Arkansas your whole life? Yes. Yeah, I'm from uh, Sebastian County, uh, born and raised in Greenwood. Uh, of course, went off to college and uh, got to live several places around the state. And uh, uh, I think I'm up to 52 counties now where i've harvested a deer is that right 52 out of 75 counties. i'll be darned yeah the, so I, I just love hunting everywhere i mean this state is so diverse um i was telling somebody the other day that you know there are very few states that you can hunt uh deer whitetail deer turkeys uh bear elk and alligator uh all yeah. you know all in the same state and uh, yeah the the habitats that we have and the people uh, the communities. Um, I just, I just love traveling the state and hunting different places. All right, editor, cut all that out. We can't tell all these people to come to Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> We're supposed to tell them how hard it is. Ralph. I'm, I'm kidding. You, man. I'm, I'm kidding. I, I, it's a great place. I mean, it, it's amazing uh, when when I go to different meetings and meet different deer biologists and talk to them. Um, you know, they're of course they're all proud of their state, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, they're like. Man, I'm coming to, to Arkansas uh, to duck hunt. Uh, you know, is there someplace I can deer hunt while I'm there? You know, yeah. so you know, deep down, they're they're wanting to come to Arkansas hunt deer. Yeah. So, how long have you been with the agency? Uh, I'll have been with the Game and Fish 20 years in March. Okay. Yeah. How long have you been the deer program coordinator? Uh, I have actually been in the deer program 10 years, oh, a little over 10 years. Uh, I've been the deer program coordinator for about five now. Five years. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I want to get a. I, I guess I'm, I'm. I'm afraid if I start asking you questions, we're gonna bypass a bunch of stuff. I've got a hundred questions I want to ask you about yeah. Arkansas deer. Who else uh, don't? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you're still not letting Brent, Brent ask. Ask his. your question. This first. is gonna solve the mystery. Okay. Three episodes in a row, I've heard on Meat Eater, Steve and everybody talking about the correct way. 
to spell white-tailed. Is it white-tailed, 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 white-tails? I want to hear it from the guy from Arkansas. When mm. you write a report, it is white-tailed. That's the way it, that's really? the, that is way the official, it. that is the correct spelling of white-tailed deer. No Mark way. it on the calendar. Really? Yes. So, so from a, a grammar perspective, there would be two adjectives that would describe the deer, so there would be a dash. That's like right. white-tailed deer. That's Double right. adjectives. And it's, and it's only capitalized. Are those adjectives? Yeah. I used to be an editor. It yeah, wasn't very that's, good. That's very no. good. And it's only capitalized if you use it at the beginning of the sentence. So if okay. you use it in the middle of the sentence, it's it's a lowercase w. Okay. Man, yeah. problem solved. There you go. Well, I guess colloquially, that's it. we've we've, <laughs> we've turned the term whitetail into like yeah. a single word. Yes. Even with like North American whitetail, yeah. the magazine, it, it's spelled as one word. Yeah. But, uh, but but the great thing about it is, is when you say whitetail, everyone knows what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. No everyone. matter how you spell it yeah. or how many hyphens you put in it, it's it's universally known. I can hear the yeah. dash in there when you say it now. <laughs> white, if you're an outdoorsman, you know what it is when yeah. they say whitetail. Well, well, but is it white-tailed, E-D? Yes, E-D. Yes, so not white-tailed deer. Nope. White-tailed deer. White-tailed deer. White-tailed. That adds a, like another syllable. It's going to lengthen the story. That's why they did the hyphen and the ED. <laughs> yeah. 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 You Those know, hillbillies can't say uh, that very yeah. good. <laughs> white-tailed deer story. I got a lot of edits to make because I wrote a law review article with white-tailed, just one word. And oh, really? I, I got an A on it. But Really? Yeah. They didn't call you out for it? Uh, no. Uh-uh. Well, your third child could be called white-tailed Johnson. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> oh That's God. a fun. No, uh, probably not. Probably not. That, that might not work. That <laughs> might not work. So, so I said. So on the beginning of this white-tailed, <laughs> white-tailed deer stories, white-tailed deer stories podcast that we just did, I had this collection of storytellers, and you guys all heard the intro where I, I made the statement that the white-tailed deer hunting culture of North America is really unparalleled in the world in terms of hunting culture. Do you guys agree with that? Ralph, would you agree with that? Absolutely. You know that the white-tailed deer is actually the, is, (laughs) is the state animal of nine different states. Okay. I mean, that's including Arkansas, including Arkansas. That's exactly right. I mean, it's a, I mean, people take great pride in, in the white-tailed deer. It's the number one sought after big game species in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing when, when you talk about, worldwide stuff us being from america sometimes we don't have insight into exactly how things are done in other places obviously we're not experts on it but you know in africa for instance there's a lot of hunting that goes on there but it's 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 seems to be much more general like they're after a, a suite of species um and certainly they hunt specific animals in europe and the the red the red deer and all kind of stuff but white tailed deer I feel like is the wide geographic distribution of the whitetail in North America, coupled with liberal hunting seasons, big populations. Like we don't realize how good we have it for real. Yeah, even right. in the midst of us really valuing deer, like everybody in this room and a lot of people listening to this really value deer. But when I, I do have a lot of friends that don't live in the United States. And when that they when they hear that I hunt deer, 
on my seven acres that I own <laughs> in my backyard is just mind boggling, mm-hmm. and it's super common. Yep. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it really is an incredible thing. And I said something else that that we're in the heyday of whitetail deer hunting. Ralph, do you think that's a correct statement? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, we estimate or, or State Farm estimates that we we hit about twenty two thousand deer each year in arkansas alone we it wasn't until the late mid to late 1970s that twenty two thousand deer were harvested statewide and wow. we're hitting that many on the highways alone just in arkansas just in arkansas twenty two thousand deer in yeah. arkansas yeah wow, wow. harvest harvest being that lower lower like he said in the mid 70s or before yeah. i mean yeah. it's it's phenomenal phenomenal in the last you know hundred years where we have come from in deer populations and deer management why is that like walk me through just kind of at a high level walk someone through from about you know the market hunting days of the late 1800s to 2022 when we've got deer numbers like we have like just give us kind of like a high level overview of the extirpation the reintroduction and and you can use arkansas but you know you can talk about the broader picture too yeah so you know in the in the light 1800s uh, up into the early 1900s, uh, you know, unregulated marking hunting was almost the end to a lot of our species, not just white-tailed deer, you know, black bear, turkeys, um, uh, you know, the passenger pigeon, all of these animals. Black panthers. Black panthers, that's right. <laughs> uh, still a few of those. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be another episode. But, you know, with, with Theodore Roosevelt, the Boone and Crockett Club, um, you know, early conservationists really brought forth um, the idea that if we don't take care of it, we're fixing to lose it. And so uh, with the passing of, uh, you know, several excise tax, you know, the Dingle Johnson Act, the, the Pittman-Robertson Act, uh, the creation of uh, the, the Department of Interior, state parks. Um, then, you know, soon after followed a lot of uh, state agencies like the Game and Fish in 1915. Um, you know, we started developing these game refuges, um, you know, places set aside both those, both federal and state. Uh, and they really started these restocking efforts. And, and uh, you know, in the 1920s and 30s, that we they estimated that we had fewer than 500 deer statewide. Wow. And uh, so, and, you know, going back and doing some research, um, there's a great book called Arkansas Wildlife, and it goes into a lot of these restocking efforts. But, you know, the game and fish, they were asking people who had deer as pets. They wanted to buy them. Uh, we started importing deer from Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina, Texas, um, you know, and, and uh, you know, started stocking these game refuges, and then one the deer, and then we had these game farms where we actually raised deer in pens that were captured, and then they were, uh, you know, once the fawns were born, we would stock those, and then we'd catch deer out of traps in different places like Felsenthal, White Rock, uh, Northern Franklin County, uh, Black Mountain uh, Game Refuge, uh, and so they they started moving deer around and, and populating uh, these areas. Uh, and in 1938, we actually started uh, recording, uh, creating mandatory reporting for deer harvest. And in that year, we we uh, we harvested 203 deer statewide. Mm. Uh, and so, from you know the early um, you know 1930s up until really really the 1990s, uh, doe harvest was was pretty restricted, and it was mm. for you know the sole purposes of growing our deer population. You know, and and uh, 
the late 19, mid, or mid, I would say mid 1990s, a lot of places we realized, hey, that we, we better get a hold of this because the deer population is growing fast. And so then we went from growing deer populations uh, to really managing populations, molding them into what we what we wanted. And and this concept, you know, in Texas, Mississippi had been done for several years at this point. So we really adopted the the quality deer management ideology, uh, where mm-hmm. we start looking at balancing buck to doe ratios and and mm-hmm. uh, managing cross age classes and protecting younger bucks to get because you know up until the three point rule. About sixty-eight percent of the bucks that we harvested were a year and a half and younger. Right uh, now, we routinely rank in the top five in the nation in the percentage of our three and a half-year-old bucks that are harvested. Really? So, Is that right? So we have done a, a one eighty. So about about ninety-six or so, ninety-five three-point yeah, rule. No, the three-point rule was a ninety-eight. Was it ninety-eight? Ninety-eight. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so now, you know, in two thousand and sixteen. Uh, you know, the bomb got dropped on us and we found CWD. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now we're having to rethink some of the things that we have really promoted in the past uh, in order to combat, you know, the spread uh, of CWD. So, um, you know, I, and I tell folks, you know, CWD is, 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 is a bad thing, uh, but disease management has always been part of the equation. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just going to be a bigger part of that equation now so that we ensure that, you know, we have deer populations you know for for many generations to come yeah Yeah, that's a good overview ready to win mother's day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family give the moms in your life an aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos she'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today even better with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app. You can keep updating Mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off 
Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. When you hear the 1930s and deer harvest being 200 deer in the state, what's, what's the deer harvest today in the state? We're, we're averaging around 200,000. We've, <laughs> these last few years have been kind of a roller coaster ride. Uh, in 2020, uh, that was the largest record. That was the, the, our largest harvest on record at uh, almost 217,000. Wow. wow. So that's a, a mathematician over here, my lawyer, from 200 no, I went to, to law 200, school, not engineering. <laughs> is that a, is that a thousand fold increase or a hundred that's fold a would be 20,000? Yeah, yeah. Thousand, thousand times. What I'm thinking about though <laughs> is that this wasn't that long ago. Oh no. I mean like my grandfather was born in 1919 and he would have been, you know, a, a teenager and a, a grown man during a time period when there just weren't that many deer. Yeah, my, and, da- yeah. my dad was born in 1910, and he talked about when he got back from World War II that there wasn't no deer to be found. Yeah. That, you know, that, that if you saw deer track out in the mountains where I grew up and where he grew up and lived his whole life and everything, that people had almost come to look to see the deer yeah. track because yeah. there just wasn't any deer around. Yeah. Isn't that story wild? Yeah, That's everybody tells that Everybody's same story it. because yeah. it's true. Mm-hmm. See a deer track, you tell your neighbor. You tell call, your neighbor, tell and then their neighbor would go and tell somebody else, and they, well, where's that track at? We'd like to see a deer track. I've never seen one. Well, and what surprises me about most of those stories is they track that sucker down and kill it. Too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They were wanting food. So. Yeah, no, but that that it wasn't that long ago, and so you you can see that in the span of. A, a human's life like a lot can change absolutely which is which is really encouraging but it also puts you on kind of red alert you know with some of the stuff that's going on i mean primarily cwd and some of these other diseases that you know when you know our kids and when when uh rut, rut. is an old man uh should the earth per even be here which i don't think it will be um but will there be deer here I mean, you know, yeah. nothing nothing stays the same. Yeah, it, it's always moving, but hopefully we can, you know. I mean, that's why we're here. I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, it, I mean, we we are enjoying really the golden age of whitetail. I mean, I I had the fortune uh, enough to uh, speak to a guy on a telephone um, just a couple of years ago, and uh, he he was a founding member of a deer camp in Bradley County, and 
he, he was telling the other gentleman, he was the oldest man in his camp, and he was telling them uh, about when we stocked deer in a game refuge that was right there on the county line, right next to their deer camp. And uh, he had called me, and, and um, you know, I did some research after talking with him, and I called him back. I said, you know, I, I think you're right. But uh, he said he remembers them opening the boxes. They had caught these deer in Wisconsin and opening the boxes and those deer jumping out. I think he said there was nine of them. And he said there wasn't one hair on those deer. Really? They had shipped them by train down here. <laughs> and uh, he said he remembers when they first stocked that. And mm. I think it was 1946. Wow. Um, but, you know, just to be able to speak to somebody that experienced history like that, yeah. to be able to tell the other members of his camp, Hey, you know, and now they're, they're harvesting a hundred deer a year in that deer camp wow. or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, maybe they started from those first nine deer yeah. and that's, yeah. that's pretty, pretty neat. That yeah. is, it really is. It really is. Um, who else had a question for Ralph, a specific question? Did you say you had a specific question, Mo? No, I was just going to say when you he guys was, are real mouthy when, when, he was, tell, <laughs> tell <us laughs> when he was talking about the the game refuge and stuff. My dad took me when I was just a young kid and showed me some of the old boundary posts and stuff of the Black Mountain yep. Refuge and all that. And he said, you know, we would drive over here just and sit here and when it wasn't even deer season, see if we might see a deer. You know, yeah. And you know, a lot of a lot of deer camps. Not I, I actually started deer hunting on White Rock. That's where our deer camp was when I when I first started deer hunting. Uh, and a lot of deer camps across the state, uh, they were established right next to these game refuges. Yeah. When they mm -hmm. opened up, uh, they would allow people to camp there on the, on the refuge yeah. or adjacent to it. And, and that's where they hunted. Yeah. That, that uh, was what my dad talked about. He said, when, when they allowed it to hunt and that's where everybody went and hunted when exactly they first right. opened them up, even though the deer were dispersed in other areas, the biggest concentration of deer was in those refuges. Yeah. So. You, you, I mean, that's. That's part of the game is, I mean, where it says no hunting, that's where you go, that's where you go put up your camp, right? <laughs> the deer, the deer know. The deer know the deer where to go. Size. That's exactly right. Is yeah. that the biggest, the biggest challenge now? Is it CWD, the stuff that you're, that you're, y'all are dealing with as far as the. Mortality? I would say that's one of a few different challenges. CWD is definitely a big challenge. Number one is because, you know, we're, we're still learning. Sure. I mean, on, on the. The grand scheme of things, I mean, CWD is a fairly new disease. Um, you know, it wasn't really identified until the, in, since the 80s. Uh, they, they think that it started in Colorado in the 60s when, where they first discovered it. Uh, when they go back and look at all the, the, the documentation of deer, they were, you know, exhibiting the same kind of issues. But the prion itself wasn't described until, you know, the early 80s. Right. Uh, and so the management of the disease on a grand scale of things is very, very new. Yeah. Uh, so we're still learning. Where do you fit on the scale? Like, so if, if, if a one is, this is a hoax and a 10 is in the next 20 years, there will be zero white tailed deer on the landscape. Where do you stand with the severity, the severity of the risk that CWD poses on a national scale to deer? I'd say a five and I, I don't okay. like to be, I don't like to be the middle ground, but um, you know, the, if there is a silver lining with CWD is that as long as you're not moving infected material, whether it be live or dead animals on the landscape, it does move rather slowly. Hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there is a possibility to get out ahead of it uh, and where you get out ahead of it and you implement these management strategies, there's a potential that you could slow it there. Hmm. Uh, there may be places in the state where we're, where we're beyond that point. 
yeah um, you know ground zero newton county that that may be kind of tough now we might be able to reduce the prevalence rate uh, but as far as slow the spread from that area, we may not be able to do now, that. Now, so Newton County, that, that's, a, that's a good – I've got a question about that. That is where we first found CWD. It's yes. where years ago, I mean 70 years ago, they introduced elk in there. In the early 80s. And we Was it in the early 80s yeah. they put the elk in there? However, so we 50 actually, years ago. There was, Forest a, Service there was elk before then in over the 40s, in Black Mountain, Mill exactly Creek right. area, and all in there. There were several elk that were stocked in the 40s by the Forest Service in right. northern Franklin County, and those disappeared, and we don't know what happened. Now, the, those mountain folks may ate them. But, you know, we don't know what Mo happened. Mo ate them. Mo ate them. I didn't, but <laughs> I think some of my ancestors <laughs> did. <laughs> but uh, you're right. I mean, we the, the elk that were in the in the Buffalo National River Valley there, um, those were stocked in the mid or early to mid-1980s. And, and it's, I know there's no, maybe no way to prove it, but probably CWD came with them. It's a possibility. It's possible. But at that point, you know, when those animals were moved, nobody knew what CWD was. Yeah, they couldn't have even yeah. measured it. No. I mean, they, they wouldn't have known. And, you know, in all honesty, we we have been testing elk here in Arkansas since uh, the late 1990s, um, whether found dead, whether harvested. And, you know, we would if if we had it in the elk first, we probably would have detected it earlier on than oh, when I we see. found it okay so you're okay yeah. Yeah, so, been, so maybe it wasn't elk so there, it's a good possibility that it wasn't from elk I yeah, mean, my, we've, we've had deer <clears throat> shipped in from all of the, over places um you know illegally uh, you know we we it's really scary um like i said we we talked to a lot of deer biologists across the nation um and in wisconsin their deer biologists they put a map up of their hot zone and then they show all the zip codes of where people come from all over the nation to hunt in that hot zone and it's very scary knowing that those people are bringing deer back so it could have been you know it could have originally come from a carcass sure and we don't we don't know that gotcha. and, and really at this point it's i mean it really doesn't cats matter out of the bag it, it, it doesn't really matter, matter. Yeah. okay this is my question though is that deer populations in that hot zone in arkansas are going down a lot though they they are and and we don't know we can't pinpoint exactly what that is uh, we don't know if that's because, uh, and of course we, we, uh, we support that, those observations with our harvest numbers. Um, and we don't know if people are, you know, not hunting there as much. Um, we, we have a, a CWD research project going on right now where we've, uh, uh rate, we're, we're putting GPS collars on deer and we're tracking them. We're looking at uh, mortality rates. We're looking at uh, reproduction rates. Um, and so, you know, it could be that you know the prevalence rate of cwd in newton county has gotten to a point where it may be impacting we don't know that for sure until our our research could that be a good thing where it dips so low that it and i'm not i don't know the disease terminology but where the population gets so low that it the disease is weakened in some way and then then when they come back they don't have it as much or well and so that goes back to one of our management strategies where we remove the three-point rule and so right now, research suggests that uh, a buck harvest that's across all age classes actually can slow the spread of CWD. Because when you have a lot of older age classes or age class bucks in a population, you know what happens when a year and a half old is there. He's gone. He's going to disperse. Right. And so if you can, you can reduce that tension, those, that, that need for dispersal, maybe animals that potentially have it won't go as far. 
Yeah, yeah, harvest. We need to send Rusty area. over there to kill some forked horns like he usually does, right? Yeah. yeah. I'll be more than glad to get him. <laughs> and harvest being the only unlimited way. Unlimited tags. The only way to, to manage it is through harvesting, right? That's exactly right. I mean, there's there's no known cure. There's no shot. There's no feed. Um, harvest is our only way right now that we can manage. And that's that's why having hunters is so important. I mean, I, if we, we stop hunting, we're really in trouble. Mm. Yep. I saw a guy on YouTube one time. I'll, I'll send you the link. It may help you, Ralph. Uh, <laughs> this guy, this guy, it was he was dead serious. He he had some kind of mineral lick or something that he he was confident oh, yeah. was making his deer immune to CWD. We need to yeah. get a crop. I'll forward booster. you that. I'll forward you that I, one. <laughs> I bet you I have seen it. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't a guy from Arkansas, but I watched it. and I was just like. Wow! Yeah, it was. It was some I can't even remember, but yeah, wow. It's well, got, it's probably got castor oil in it. You remember you get the <laughs> pour it on the spoon and you put it castor yeah, oil, yeah, some kind of castor oil. Everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I man, I CW. We've everybody in the deer community has talked a lot about CWD, so yeah. I, that's not necessarily what all i want to get into today but uh but you asked what other you know our other problem is and one of them is hunter recruitment you know there there are fewer and fewer youngsters now that are that are hunting there, there's a lot of uh competition for their time you know a lot of athletics you know extracurricular yeah. activities and so you know and when i was uh, when i was growing up hunting i mean when deer season happened the world stopped right for nine days that's all you did yeah. uh, and we we didn't muzzleload hunt or, or archery hunt when i was a kid we were we were modern gun hunters but for nine days that was it you know that's what you did there used to be a when time I, when when you played baseball in the summer now they do it year round you, i know mm-hmm. folks that have that take kids every weekend to baseball game same mm-hmm. thing with yeah. basketball it used to be a basketball. certain month but now they have all these other sports camps and, and mm-hmm. camps and, and well, youth leagues and stuff that play nearly year-round basketball and stuff yeah. so. the, the friday before opening day and the monday after opening weekend a lot of schools were closed yeah that, now that i graduated Arkansas. high school in 1984 and the first day of um deer season or that monday even if it opened on a saturday school was out that's right yeah same was where i was at at mountainburg and that yeah, that deer, deer days. Yeah. Yeah. days. Man, yeah. deer days. Man, I, I always hated it. My school did not have deer days, but all the smaller school, and we were a small school, but for the area, we were a bigger school. If you hunted before you got caught the bus or before you went to school, however you got to school, if you killed a deer that morning, you was late. If you brought in your hunting license where you had tagged deer, it was <laughs> excuse an excuse. That. Absence. Oh, it was That's what Absence. I'm talking about. Wow. Man. Hey, I remember multiple times and my dad's not here today but this is a good story about my dad i remember multiple times being in school and we had a pay phone in the school and my dad worked at the bank it was before cell phones you know and i would just it would be a fall day and it'd be cool outside and we would have gone outside you know at lunch or something and i was just like man i'd call my dad and say hey dad Will you call and check me out of school? I want to go deer hunting. I got to go. <laughs> call him on a payphone, and he'd call the office. And twenty minutes later, the the intercom would come on. Can we have Clay Newcomb? Can we have Clay Newcomb please come to the office? <laughs> and I just I just kind of like, I, I don't know what's going on. I'll see you guys. I'm later. in trouble again. Hey, and, one, uh, one of my good friends, his uh, his dad said that when he was a kid, 
he would load on the bus with shotgun and yeah. his dog. My brother. And they would go way. to school, and he'd lean his shotgun in the corner, and the dog would sit outside. And then after school, they would hunt the fence rows for quail. No way. All the way home. And uh, he said that's what he did, you know, during quail season. That's what he did every day. And they let you get on the bus with a shotgun. I'll be darned. My older brother can tell the same story. Really? Yeah. Taking a gun on the bus? An A5. Yeah. That's wild. They kept it on the school bus. The school bus driver was his football coach. They kept it on the bus, locked up. And when he got on the bus in the evening, he got off at a friend's house, and they went shooting wood ducks. Wow. I think I've told this story before. If we're talking about guns at at school, have I told the one about the – Principal coming out? Yeah. Old story. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, I had a – I brought a gun that my dad bought for me to school one day. And uh, the 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 principal calls me aside and he goes, "Hey Clay, I heard you got a gun in your truck." And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "I want to see it." He, I wasn't in trouble. He, 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 he we walked out. Yeah. We walked out to the parking lot and he wanted to see it, like yeah. just because it was a cool gun. Uh, different day. Yeah, yeah we different. all had guns in our trucks. Yeah. Yeah. All of us in the back uh, glass. Yep. yep. Had those racks stuck in the back glass, and yep. that's where they stayed. <clears throat> sure yeah. did. Well. So, I this this podcast that we just came out with this White Tail Deer Stories podcast. It's, it's there's going to be two. There's going to be two full episodes dedicated to White Tail Deer Stories. Mo's on going to be on the second one. He tells the story. Um, I I when I hear James Lawrence, Andy Brown, and my dad tell a story, it's like I could just listen to those guys talk. I, 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 I tried to imply inside of the, the podcast how, to me, those just aren't stories, but they're like really personal to me in different ways. Just like that's the sound of my world, you know? And, and, and the, I kind of got into, uh, these deer stories are so cool because they, they do, I mean, we all like deer stories because we're deer hunters and we want to hear the details of what happened. But, Stories carry so much more than that, and that's what I tried to show and ta- and tell in some way is that person to person human communication is so valuable. Yes, I mean it is so valuable, and and I think the reason that I liked whitetail deer hunting as a kid was because of the way I saw my dad and the men that he hunted with, the way they handled it the way they talked about it it's like all this stuff's going on in my life but boy that's really important because the way they talked about it and the excitement in their voice and the detail that they went in because i'd hear those same men tell a story about something else and it wasn't nearly as passionate you know you see what i'm saying i mean just there's these default messages that are coming to you as a kid and and uh it had value yeah. yeah. The, the value you had in it. And it's like you could tell those I've heard I've heard Gary tell that story before. And I heard him tell it again and I was as glued to it then as I was the first time because I had value in that in telling that story to a guy that you know, somebody else that just played golf, you know, or just played baseball or something that he ain't he's not gonna connect as quick because he's not gonna put as much value in what he's hearing as as you are telling it well i can tell you too from you know being a kid you're exactly right i mean those stories were valuable but sitting around a campfire at nighttime with your grandpa and his buddies 
and your uncle and your dad and their buddies. Yeah. I mean, as a as a nine year old or a ten year old, you felt like you were an equal. I sure. Mean, and they were telling stories and you're eating deer chili, you know, and and uh, it you know staying up past what your normal bedtime was, <laughs> and and mm-hmm. uh, I mean it it was a I mean just hanging on every word that those guys were saying the, the stories that they were telling that was it was just phenomenal yeah, yeah my dad and all my uncles were all hunters and a lot of times they'd get together and when i was just a kid and be talking about their hunts from that year or the year before or the upcoming hunts and you was just glued to it you know yep. even when i wasn't allowed to go hunting yet when i was just a young kid i remember that yep. you know it's mo were any of those guys real good storytellers i mean Almost would you just, would you have would you have characterized them as that Yes, I would. Uh, I've got, I've got, I say I've got, I had two uncles and my dad, they're all passed away. All my family has passed away with my uncles and my, everybody, but uh, the three of them that hunted a lot together, they all could tell a pretty good story. I mean, it, it got you glued to it. Like you was talking about your dads and Brent was talking about listening to that story of your dads. Uh, you didn't matter how many times you heard it, you was stuck yeah. to it. You just oh, sit yeah. there and you listened and you listened yeah. And yeah. on every word, you know, and tried to pick out what was going to happen next even though you knew what was going to happen next because you already heard the story but it's still you, you were just intent on wanting to listen to it so yeah yeah what was uh so the stories that were told and i want to hear some of you guys stories here in a minute of the stories that were told on that podcast rusty which one stood out to you uh the mine shaft really yeah, yeah i mean that's that just extraordinary <laughs> i mean that is well that, that was a wild story yeah i mean yeah i don't know if i've heard anything close to that yeah yeah i mean Hoisting that thing up out of that mine shaft. Yeah. And it just only had a little bit of water in the bottom of it. Yeah. I mean, it could have been full of water. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, yeah. I was definitely out How of the about way hunting there. where the mine, y'all all missing the whole thing here. Yeah. Hunting where <laughs> there. Well, there's holes in the ground. It, it hunting where they're not marked. Yeah. Hunting oh, where there no. is no, a, You don't want to go there coon hunting a whole lot. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Actually, hunting where there is a mine shaft is blowing my mind. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, it certainly wasn't marked. There wasn't a road to it. There, there's just out in that part of the world. There's just there's just mine shafts, yeah. random places. Uh, and and yeah, I thought Randy did a good job of telling that story too. He, uh, um, yeah, he just I, I like the way he I like the way he told it. And I, and I like my one of my favorite parts was the very end when he said and i went back with my kids and that mine shaft was full of water and there's a fish in it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I thought i thought that was funny but um yeah no but that was good rusty what you said and, and there was a lot in there too if you when he was telling that story about he called he called uh, was it andy scott scott. Called scott scott andy's yeah. son and my good friend scott brown yeah called scott and uh he's like yeah man i'm, I'm bringing you powder i'm coming to you yeah and that's that that was the whole thing to me. Yeah. That whole thing, getting that buck out of that, was he called somebody he cared about, that cared about him, that knew. Who, who left work, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. to go like, out there and help him. Man, I, yeah, I that's camaraderie that. right there. I the, dig it. Yeah. But the moral of that story is don't ever go hunting without telling somebody where you're going. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 One time um, in the Ozarks on public land, I remember I was turkey hunting. Just talking about a hole in the ground and – and and telling somebody where you're at i was turkey hunting by myself public land and i was hiking up this real steep ridge and i stopped to take a break and was leaning on my shotgun just (sighs) breathing hard and i looked down by my foot and there was a hole about as big as a softball in the ground just it was kind of odd because there were no rocks around it (laughs) it was just leaf litter and there was just a hole 
and it didn't look like it was angled like an armadillo hole. There was no debris pile like where something had been digging. Just a hole. And I was like, huh, that's weird. I took the butt of my shotgun and bop, bop, just kind of tapped on it. And that that thing just collapsed. What? And opened up into a, a hole about as big as a beach ball. And it was so deep that you could drop a rock down and it would be like... Ding, 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 ding. No way. Yeah. Really? Okay. It was it was a sinkhole. <laughs> and wow. It, I, you know, I, you'd, you'd had a hard time falling in it just because, I mean, as big as a beach ball, have. you'd have to just like put your hands in the air and just jumped in it. But I was like, holy smokes, I guess man. only one of my legs would probably fit in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody yeah, had to come get you out. It, yeah. was, it was in the Ozarks where we yeah. have this limestone shell and a lot of stuff and the rocks dissolve. Like there's big... I, there are big sinkholes yeah. in the Ozarks. That, that's just what it was. I'm telling but, uh, all y'all. Yeah, it was weird. There's game in flat ground for the love of humanity. <laughs> get out of the hills. You're gonna, get out of the hills. You're going to get killed. Uh, Russ, which, what was your what well, story I, stood I'll out to you? I'll tell you what, bouncing off of that, as a youth, um, my dad, I mean, he's, he's a crazy deer hunter, and he didn't take up no slack with me as like an eight-year-old or whatever. So we'd walk in at you know 3.30 a.m., two hours before daylight, and then on the way back to the truck, I'd be like, there's a drop-off right by the trail that we walked in. He's like, oh, yeah, shouldn't have fell into it. I'm, yeah, like, well, yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. Because, I mean, we were going on some steep stuff. I was like, golly. It's a secret. I couldn't see anything in the dark, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Better follow close behind yeah. him. <laughs> Favorite story you heard? Oh, the, it was the mine, chef, mine chef for sure. Mine chef, yeah. okay. And then I, I really like my favorite part was they didn't want to damage the antlers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, let's rethink how we're getting them out of here. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's valuable. That is Brent, good. which one stood out to you? That one, obviously. I mean, that's a one in a million. Oh, you can't say the same one they but, did. Okay, new rule. Can't say the same one the other guy Terry. did. Terry the Yankee. That was a good story. Tony. Tony. That, Tony. <laughs> Tony. Tony. I can't even remember his name. Oh, Terry. Tony was good. No. You like and, Tony's story. And he told a good story. Yeah. It in was, the beans. Yeah. And uh, you know, he's he said everything that happened, he never thought it would happen. Yeah, right. he'd already he'd already cursed himself. Yeah, he he's said. Already, everything you know, gone wrong. He number one, he's got we're gonna to to talk to him about going to that wedding during deer season for the love of humanity. Mm. <laughs> Who his friend absolutely was not his friend. No, he yeah. wasn't a very close friend or he would have never done that. For real. So <laughs> no. But then, you know, he didn't get to go opening day and then everything that he 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 proved the old point that you can't kill him at the house. Mhm. Regardless yeah. if you got an opportunity to go saddle up and get out there. Mhm. And then just when he thought things were there's no way that deer's going to come from there. There's no way that deer's going to keep coming. There's no way that deer's going to be 10 feet pow. No way he's even going to see a deer because he ran in there and got all sweaty. He's all sweat. He had already rode it off. I mean, he basically <laughs> yeah. just rode it yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and those are the funnest times when you get one and you really weren't expecting it. Yeah. Yeah. Mo, which story stood out to you? Mine that I, I liked the best was Andy Brown's about yeah. the, uh, the deer, you know, and the finding the tracks and – and then hunting and killing that big deer. And then at the end of the story, he talks about it, He said, but that wasn't the deer that I yeah, was after. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. but that whole story, just the way he told it was really good. I, I can associate with that because he hunts a lot of the same, not the same area, but the same type of terrain with the mountain saddles and all that yeah. that I do. And, and I could I could just see everything that he was talking about. Man, when, when, when Andy and 
and Scott and some of those other guys that that they hunt with tell stories. Man, sometimes somebody can belabor something so much you're just like, come on, get to the point. Sometimes people tell a story and you just want it to keep going, and, and you're you sad see. when it ends. Yeah, and so, and and a lot of that has to do with context. Like if you pull up on the side of the road and talking to somebody while your car's running, you know, you kind of got to understand this is not the time to give like the extended <laughs> version of this story. Yeah. But in the right moment, in the right context, a, a good long story, especially from someone you deeply respect, is just what you order. And man, Andy, I, I love, and, and I actually had to cut down some of his story. So you didn't really hear the full version with all the pauses and different things just because the format, we had to tighten it up a little bit. But, man, he tells a detailed story. I mean, it, it starts off with the, with the scouting trip, and, I mean, he just, he just kind of went into everything. But what you learn from that kind of stuff is you, you learned a lot about how to scout, what to look for, when to move on, when to keep going, how his season laid out. I mean, there – you, you, if you listen to it, just like, okay, when's he going to kill this deer? You're, you're missing the point. But there was, uh, I was telling Misty, even him talking about a cottonmouth that he wished he'd have killed. And, uh, yeah. and, and it just, I, Andy's a great storyteller and, and a great hunter. I like what Mo said a while ago. He, he left the story with that big track that was not the deer Stealer. that he killed. So it, it sticks in your mind. And I've been wondering ever since, I wonder how big that yeah. was. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that I mean, track. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that big track. Come back to yeah. I mean, I'm wanting to go and see, you yeah. know. Yeah. It was a dope. Yeah. But hey, I'm going to, by the time this comes out, I will have already posted, but I'm going to post a picture of the deer that he killed. Uh, it was it was a nineteen point, just a wild. He said it's twenty one way. He can't yeah, yeah yeah that's right twenty one points. Yeah, yeah, you can't count very good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, heck of a deer, and uh, and it, it wasn't the biggest deer Andy's ever killed either. He, he, he said just he thought said, it was the second biggest, is what he said on that, wasn't it? Well, I, if he said that, I don't remember the. Exact I thought that's way. what he said. He you should said really was, listen to these things, Clay. They're pretty. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he said yeah. this was the second. I'm pretty sure this is my second he, biggest. He buck. for sure said that he'd never killed one like it before. Yeah, yeah but then only he said I've killed a bigger deer too, and he said I come to think it, I think this is probably the second biggest deer. Either that or your well, or your dad's story one because I get them confused. Yeah, yeah. Your dad talk about I, it. So my favorite story, I think, has to be James Lawrence. Even though Andy, Dad, and James kind of all were right there. And then as far as the excitement of the story, the mineshaft story, I loved that one. It's just kind of a shocking ending, you know. But James Lawrence, I mean, mainly because he's just my hero. And he, uh, you know, James is not a big storyteller. Like, if you're sitting around a room like this, like, he's not going to talk. Like, he's the guy that's just kind of sitting back waiting to be spoken to. But when he talks, he knows what he's talking about. And uh, oh, I I, I kind of I just like I just liked uh, James really got fired up about that deer, which you can kind of I mean because he, he was actually afraid the deer was going to run him over is what he was trying to say, <laughs> you know, because he had those hawks on the deer was coming and he never used hawks on his body again because it spooked him, and you know I mean he's a veteran. Hunter, and if he tells me he was spooked in the woods, he wasn't being dramatic. He really got spooked. He thought that deer was going to run him over. Yeah, my and, favorite uh, part of it is when he said that on towards the end of his story. There, he told he said, he said, you know, he shot the deer and all that, and then he 
I forget how he quoted, but he said, and I realized that that deer was coming to me. He he was going. He wanted to take care of me because he thought I was, you know, yeah. taking yeah. over his area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Ralph, which one stood out to you? Man, the, the the mine shaft to me was just one of those. Like that, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I and I've loaded a lot of deer, so I can only imagine two guys <laughs> pulling that thing out of that <laughs> mine shaft. <laughs> But yeah. as a biologist, the clicker deer deer to me was interesting because I'm I'm thinking the whole time I'm thinking I'm wondering if that guy I wonder if that deer's grunters broke. Uh, mm. I, why is he clicking? I was wondering what was going on there yeah, too. Tell I, us what. Do you have yeah, any insight yeah, into I, that? I have no idea. That's why I'm thinking the whole time. I'm thinking I wonder if his grunters broke. I've actually, <laughs> grunters broke. I've actually heard that. Hey, before we go today, well, I've I actually seen these. I've actually seen those little grunt things that he talked about. The little wheel thing you turn. Yeah. Have you clicks. ever seen those, Ralph? Yeah, but a I, click and call. I, I, I really click, thought click, it was click, to click, uh, click. to imitate, you know, rucks Rats. fighting rucks. Yeah. You know, the well, I don't know, but that's. I, but, oh. the, but the click, I was like, that thing's yeah. grunter's got to be broke. I've actually <laughs> heard that one time in the wild. What did it sound like? Just uh, like a like a single click. Like a grunt is a series of clicks. Distinct clicks. So a grunt. No, no, no. I'm saying a grunt is a series of clicks. So yeah, yeah. If you could just, just do like pop, one note, pop your tongue with it. Yep, that's it. So I've heard just, it one time in the wild, and so it was in Arkansas. It was a hollow bin, and that's the only time I've ever heard it. Huh? I what guess this is one of his deer secrets because he so, had never told me this. <laughs> I'm not. Tell, I'm not. <laughs> not you. a clicking bug. Come okay. on, Rusty. Well, so uh, when I first, it was there was three bucks, and when I first heard the bucks coming. It was like a loud, just a, I mean, I'm like, whoa, what is that? Like, you a, know? like a roar. Yeah, I was like on a little like island, and I was in the middle of a cut cornfield. Well, I seen the doe coming, and this buck was behind her, or yeah, he was right behind her, and they come out there in front of me, and they stopped, and there was another buck run up there, and then another little six-point run up, and they were just kind of circling her. She was out there, and that six-point got over really close, and that one, that biggest buck started to really yeah and he looked over at him and he just charged him and hit him in the side and just rolled him wow yes so this story is confirmation of what gary newcomb said yes have you ever seen a black panther no (laughs) i have not how about ivory bill woodpecker (laughs) (laughs) that's that is for real that's that's i've been hunting all my life and that's the first time and the only time i've ever heard it but i have heard it and i mean it was loud and distinct well, he said yeah. them old timers yeah. he talked to that said that, that that's yeah, they, what it was. They, said the dominant buck was he was the yep. dominant buck making that noise. Yep. Yeah. It was the big one that was doing it. He was yeah. big. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've never I've never heard one <laughs> click like that. Yep. But I can you know, always learn, can you? It's so bomb. wild. <laughs> Bo- deer bomb. vocalizations <laughs> yes. are so elusive. I mean, I I've hunted my whole life, killed quite a few deer, been in the woods yep. a lot in the fall, and I mean it's like, did I hear a buck deer grunt last year? I, I don't even know if I did. I mean, like, it's not really. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't. You don't. You don't hear them all the time. Do you guys hear them all oh, the time? Oh yeah. Y'all yeah. just don't oh, ever kill yeah. them. Y'all just let them go. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey, especially especially in the Midwest, they're really right. vocal out there. But I, I mean, yeah. I hear it every year here in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. If it's a rut and I, I don't see a buck and he's not grunting, then I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, I hear yeah. a lot. I hear a lot of grunting. I've yeah. heard a lot of different vocalizations, but the clicking one to me is is yeah. kind of new. Yeah. Now I don't but hear a lot of fighting yep. like 
clashing of antlers, no. They'll tickle them, but I, they just don't get after it like they do in Midwest. Right. Right. Well, hey, I, I, I meant to do this at the beginning, but I got to do it now. So Phelps Game Calls just came out with a full new series of grunt tubes. It also, they've got multiple styles of grunt tubes. That one's a clicker. <laughs> yeah, they got a clicking call. Jason Phelps, yeah. Let me know. What, so Rusty Johnson, the other thing that he has is secret grunt calls. He's he's clicking on. He's trying to click. He's trying yeah, to click just, it. Yeah. Um, these calls Let's, are there's a there's an Alpha Pro, which is a which is a smaller call with a tube on it, and then there's the Beta Beta Pro with uh it's acrylic. They're freeze proof. If if you fill it full of saliva, blowing on the thing, it's not going to freeze. What I like about them is that you can blow them super soft. Sometimes when you blow on a call, you got to. Yeah. Back before yeah. it goes, and you'll end up. It that blows easy. You can you can blow it just as soft. I mean, sometimes a oh, deer wow. will be right up under your stand, and you can just all, barely hear him. And then sometimes he's out there sixty, seventy yards, and you can yeah. hear him. Blah blah. You know that they a deer has a pretty big range of volume, and so man, if he's if you just want a soft grunt. To me, that's what makes a good grunt call. And it, they won't top out when you just blow on them. Sometimes a reed sticks on one when you yeah. – If a deer's out there at 120 yards and yeah. the wind's howling and you're just trying to throw a Hail Mary and just just hit it hard, sometimes the reed will flatten out and it won't blow. But these Phelps calls are for real, the real deal. And uh, they are they, – they were launched on October the 11th. So this here podcast comes out on October the 12th. So mm. you can buy these at, at uh, themeteor.com, phelps.com. So they've got, they've got a couple of tubes, the alpha and the beta, that have the, the tube on them, which, uh, man, I, I like the sound of You can get some good inflection with that flexible tube. It sounds good. Yeah. But if you, don't, if you want a smaller call and you don't want the tube, they make uh, they call this the Omega Hybrid, which is like an acrylic call, kind of mm. almost the size of like a goose call, no tube, and a. It's a. Uh, it doesn't have the it doesn't have the tube. Rusty yeah, likes the tube. I think the, the tube's tube. yeah. the the ticket. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, those are for sale. Phelps talk. Phelps Phelps game calls. They've also got a doe bleat and a fawn, uh, fawn call, full line of deer calls. So. Fun. That's what I like. That's what Brent likes to kill. That's what he wants to get in. Good oh, tender one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a Brent call. There. That's, yeah. that's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I look like that'd be a bear attracting. Yeah. <laughs> I'd use that as a predator call. Now, I told on this podcast. No, I wasn't on this podcast. Do y'all remember the story of uh, my son, my son Bear? Mm-hmm. He's got a cool name. When he was, couldn't have been more than a year and a half old, 18 months or something, uh, I took him to hang a tree stand with me. And it was in in uh, like late summer. Took him, just carried him in, carried my sticks and my tree stand. And it's before yeah. season, we're just going to hang a stand. I start hanging the ladders and get way up in the tree. So I'm like 20 foot up in the tree. And uh, Bear gets scared down on the ground because I'm not down there with him. And he's scared and he starts crying. Just straight up, just crying and i'm trying to hang this tree stand so i can't go down to him so i'm just like hey buddy it's okay it's okay i'm whispering he just gets crying all the more 
he cries for I don't know a couple of minutes, and directly I hear the woods just coming, just no. crash, crash. I mean, I hear something running in. It's real thick woods, and a doe deer comes busting in and what? skids to a stop. I mean, I I remember it being like six or eight feet from him. Maybe it was fifteen feet, but this doe deer, so it was what? real thick. And she just ran right to what she believed wow. was a fawn in distress, <laughs> skid to a stop, sees him, and then, you know, disappears. And Bear quit crying and looked up at me, and he said, deer. <laughs> he, he, he knew what a deer was. He said, deer. It was, like, I mean, it was just like he said, you're not going to believe Man. this, Dad. I was down there on the ground, and a deer ran up to me. She thought it was a deer, and it was a baby bear. So. Yeah. Yeah. Deer calls. Deer Brent, calls. Brent needs to get a spotted fawn uh, pocket watch deal to go, to go with that coon. That'll be for Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. Ralph, I told you, I, I asked you when you came, I said, bring your best deer story. So we want to hear it if you got it. Man, I, I've got a lot of great deer stories, but one of my favorites uh, was actually I was living in Lone Oak, and I put in for a permit a muzzleloader permit draw on Holland Bottoms WMA right outside of Cabot. And uh, my brother-in-law, who is from eastern Arkansas, he put in for as well, and he drew one. And uh, I've always wanted to hunt out of a canoe. And so I went to uh, a place there uh, in Ozark, bought a used canoe, so proud of that thing. And uh, I was like, I'm going to float this canoe in Holland Bottoms, this permit hunt. I'm going to kill a deer. And uh, so... The Friday before the permit hunt, I go out there. The ditches are dry, the bios are dry. There was there was hardly any water in place, and I was so brokenhearted. And the mosquitoes were eating my eyes out. And I told my brother-in-law, I said, "We we're not going to be able to hunt. The mosquitoes are so bad." He said, "Oh no, I'm from East Arkansas. I can do this." And I, at that time, I worked on a fish farm, so I was pretty used to mosquitoes. Yeah. But there weren't thermocells just, though. Oh no, there were no thermocells. That's and this is this is uh, thermocells won't touch them. And uh, I was like, this, this is it. I, I can't believe I just bought the canoe. And so we went out Saturday morning, hunted that morning, about 9 o'clock. My brother-in-law, he tapped out. He said, I can't handle this. I said, I told you it's bad. <laughs> so we're, we're walking out with our muzzleloaders between our tails between legs. And these two girls, two, two ladies uh, in, in black sweats and, and rubber boots, they're walking out with what I thought were, were howitzers over their shoulder. That big 54 <laughs> caliber muzzleloaders big old octagon barrels and my brother-in-law he goes they're more of a man than i am <laughs> and so we, we were kind of kind of whipped and and uh i said well i i don't i'm not gonna hunt this evening so sunday rolled around the next day and a storm blew in and it was a cold front uh just dumped like two inches of rain and uh so i called my brother-in-law i said hey let's go back out there let's just look see what happened uh, mosquitoes were gone there was water and everything, and uh, a lot of the hunters left, and this was a five-day permit. So we walked in there with our boots. Uh, we had hip boots on, and we found this this ridge, I don't know, probably about three-quarters of a mile in. We'd walked down this road that was flooded, and it was just like a tunnel. It was just beautiful. Just everything was calm. I, I could swear up and down there was there was uh, a snowflakes every once in a while, and this was in October. And uh, so we walked in there, and I had my stand with me, and uh, – I said, Clay, we're going we're gonna to hunt this this afternoon. I said, this, this is perfect. And, I, I mean, I was just riding on cloud nine. And so I hung my stand. 
And I said, you meet me back here at the truck at 2 o'clock. We're going to get the canoe. We're going to ride in here. I'll hunt this end of the ridge, and you hunt the other end. So I had there was a bolt missing on my, on my deer stand. It was just a, a lock-on stand. I said, well, I'm going to go back, find a bolt for that. You meet me here. We'll go hunting. So I go back, and uh, I was like, I told my wife, I said, I load up the canoe. I said, I got to find a bolt, and I'm, I'm going to meet Clay. So we get down there, and 2 o'clock rolls around, and he's not there. 2.30 rolls around. He's not there. I'm like, ah, I got to go. So I get in the canoe, and I take off, get out there, hang my stand. At 3, o- 3 o'clock, straight up, I'm sitting in my deer stand, and it starts to mist. And I got my muzzleloader laying across my lap, and so I had this old army poncho, and I just laid it across this this gun. And uh, I, I when I'm deer hunting, I like to chew tobacco. That's just what I like to do. And so I just put one in my mouth. About two minutes later, I hear this walking, and I could hear water splashing. I was like, what is that? And so I kind of look, and this deer comes up out of the water. I could tell he was a buck, and he wasn't a, a huge buck. He was a two-and-a-half-year-old buck. And he walks up, and he just lays down about 40 yards from me and just lays down. And I'm thinking, man, this is the coolest thing ever. And so every time I'd try to spit, that deer would look at me. <laughs> and, I, and I had the wind in my favor, so I knew I was good. And I, at some point, I'm thinking, I'm not swallowing. I mean, I'm not <laughs> going to. Well, at 3.30, I hear some more water coming, you know, just rustling around. I thought, man, there's more deer. And I look back there, and it's my brother-in-law. And he had to have hip boots to get in there. And he walks up there. So I got the deer about 40, 45 yards laying down in front of me. And my brother-in-law has a lounge chair, and he's like 75 yards to my right. And he he's he never sees me in the tree, even though I'm wearing orange. And I I'm sitting there watching him open this launch chair. He takes a leak, and then he gets deer <laughs> urine out. And this deer's <laughs> laying there, and there's some some coral berry about I don't know knee high. And this deer would peek his head up over, and I'm watching this deer watch my brother-in-law, <laughs> who, mm. who's not 75 yards from him this whole time, for two hours. My brother would get up, and he'd, <clears throat> he'd cough. And I'm thinking, Clay, what are you doing? <laughs> and so I'm watching this deer, and then every so often that deer would jerk his head, and he would look at me. <laughs> oh, know? man, and he like, had both of you right there. He had both of us. But it really, I mean, watching his reaction to Clay really, I mean, opened my eyes to how, you know, you could be in the woods and deer's laying down. He's watching you. And mm-hmm. as long as you don't, he don't smell you, you know, or it's no quick re- reaction or anything, he may not jump. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here watching the deer, and I'm I'm learning. You know, I'm having a heck of a time other than not being able to spit. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're bad yeah. at your brother-in-law. Yeah. Who so just I'm happens like, to be named Clay, yeah. which is nothing against Clay. Yeah, no Clay. But uh, and I love Clay. We've had a lot of we've had a lot <laughs> of different uh, uh, adventures together. But I'm like, what in the world are you doing? You know. And so um, at 5:05, this so this deer had laid down between beside two trees. There was a bigger tree and a smaller tree right next to it. And all I could really see was the front part of his, his chest and his neck when he would stick his head out to look at Clay. Now, were you wanting to shoot this deer? Well, so, you know, when I first when he first got there, I thought, man, it's early in the hunt. I'm not even going to shoot this deer. Who knows what else is going to come up sure. here? Mm. So as it got darker and darker and my brother-in-law started making more and more noise, I'm thinking, if I'm going to shoot one, I better do it now yeah. because there was water all around us. The You know, the chances of finding him with a muzzleloader in the dark through the water is pretty low. I thought if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. 
And so, because a lot of my buddies had told me I was crazy for buying that canoe, for hunting in Holland Bottoms with a canoe. And so I, I wanted some vindication, you know? <laughs> and so that deer, he, I, and so finally he reaches back to lick himself and I pulled that poncho off that muzzleloader, put a cap on it. And I just waited about 10 more seconds and he kind of turned his head and I pulled the muzzleloader up and my brother-in-law made a sound and that deer stuck his neck out and I shot him right in the neck and just, I mean, his head, it's a wonder he didn't break his jawbone. His head hit so hard, you know, <laughs> and, and then I could hear through the smoke. I could hear my brother-in-law's couple of expletives. Because <laughs> he didn't know you was there. Oh, that's good. And so when the smoke clears, I could see him picking himself up off the ground because he had fallen back out of his chair and scared him so bad. And so I yelled over. I said, Clay. And he's like, and then he yelled a couple more expletives. <laughs> and so I got down. I said, hey, you ain't going to believe this. So I explained to him what happened this whole time. And I said, hey, come help me pull this deer out. And he said, you didn't shoot no deer. You just did that scare me. I said, oh, no, I did. It's laying right over here. And so we walked up there to it, and he said a couple more expletives. You know, <laughs> he's like, I can't believe this. So we pulled that deer up to the canoe, and uh, I've, got a, I've got a picture of him, that deer, and me in that canoe floating out in that tunnel of trees on that water. Oh, and that, nice. and that, was the, that was probably the great one of the greatest deer hunts that I've ever had. Uh, because I told those boys at work that I was coming back with a deer, and they was like, oh, you're you're lying, you're lying. And so when they seen that deer, they they're like, I can't believe that. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, that's a great that's story. A great story. Yeah. And I've got I've got those antlers in a picture uh, in my office at work. I mean, that's got to be one. You of need them. to you need to text me a picture of that photo. Yeah, if I you would. would. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I, I it was just one of those that it went from a high super high to get the hunt on that that permit hunt and knowing what caliber deer there to a super low with the mosquitoes and no water and buying a canoe and not getting to float it back to a super high again i mean it was just a roller coaster ride of a of a hunt oh that's cool that's a good one man that is a good one Which of you listening right now took a class in school about Family Finances 101? No one? Yeah, me neither. Like the importance of a will or college savings plan or even life insurance or estate planning. We have to know these things. But how do we figure it all out? That's why I'm excited to partner with Fabric by Gerber Life. Life insurance is important to me. It just gives me security in knowing that if anything happened to me, my family would remain financially stable in my absence. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You can be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash bear. That's meetfabric.com slash bear. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash bear. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. 
Juju Nukem has an aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. All right, so now it's time that we do the Bear Grease Swap Shop. Here we go. Yep. So did y'all know that we uh, we we have our listeners send stuff in to beargreaseatthemeteor.com, stuff that they want to sell? Wow. And, uh, and the, but they have to have their Instagram handle, their Facebook handle to be able to, to sell it. And, uh, we, you know, we, 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 we pick and choose what we put on here, but, uh, but here we go. All right. We've got this, uh, we've got a listing from a man by the name of Buck Lester with an Instagram handle of buck.lester. And he has, this is what he says. He said, Hey, I heard on the podcast that one of you mentioned hoping to have a 1982 Trans Am. He said, well, I don't have a Trans Am, but I do have the next best thing, a 1987 El Camino with a 305 small block <laughs> and a four-barrel carb, my first vehicle and a heck of a rig. He has a picture of it here. and it's Four-barrel carb, you can really get it. It's lost. a nice-looking El Camino, man. Uh, ooh, and uh, he says it does need – it says 149,000 miles, four stock rims, four Krager rims, power locks and windows, has some large dents and rust, but it runs and drives, needs some tires, $5,000. All right? So you can contact Buck Lester at buck.lester on Instagram. That's pretty go. legit, man. You haul out some deer in that. And They'd be talking that's about a, you. That's the yeah, best they would. in the world. <laughs> that could be like the that's bear like a mullet, machine. Man. That's like having a yeah, mullet. Man. That's a business in the front and party in the back. Incredible. Okay, so uh, this next one, uh, 
is uh, this, this is actually a pretty functional one. This guy says, "Howdy." He said, "Calling all fellow Sasquatches," which Rustin might qualify for. That. How tall are you, Rustin? Six three. Six three. What I'm size shoe do you wear? Thirteen. Okay. Sweet. Calling Jesus. all fellow Sasquatches. I got me a pair of uh, Loa Tibet hunting boots, size fifteen. Ooh. They're a little too small for me. Oh, no telling how tall this guy is, <laughs> as they fit more like a fourteen. Used for about a season and a half. $250 or best offer. So his Instagram handle is big underscore Sasky underscore man. You got to spell Sasky. B-I-G underscore S-A-S-K-Y underscore M-A-N. Nice looking pair of Loa boots. I would imagine those are four or $500 boots. Been worn just a couple oh, yeah. times. Okay. Well, Clay, I just looked at my... And my shoe, it's a 14. You wear a 14? That's right. So, Man, he might be marketing directly to you. You need some real good <laughs> boots, I bet. Break out the pocketbook. Okay. And here we have our, our last Burgery Swap Shop entry for the day. We've got a uh, – I'm going to read what this man says. Or, well, for sale, a 13-foot Boston Whaler boat with a 30-horsepower Yamaha outboard and an easy <laughs> loader trailer. He's asking $5,500, all right? This Boston whaler is ready to help any PNW outdoorsman. What's that mean? Pacific PNW. Northwest. Pacific okay. Northwest. Gotcha. Oh, Pacific. Rusty Good job, Rusty. PNW outdoorsman on their hunting and fishing adventures is perfect for duck hunting on the coast, trolling sockeye at Baker Lake or Brute. Oh, man, he's giving away fishing spots. Getting to the secluded upland bird spots on the Columbia or the Snake. He's a salesman, too. Right where Rusty This guy's said. a salesman. Uh, or any of the inland lakes. I recently got the boat dialed in, but I'm building my house and could use the extra cash. I like Sometimes a good salesman will tell you a little bit more information than you need to know to try to rope you in to trust him. Yeah. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. And this man said, oh, you know, I need a little cash to build my house. I like it. Details. Recently repacked the trailer hubs with grease and installed new trailer lights. The motor is a two-stroke and runs well. New steering, new throttle cables, new battery, 35-pound thrust electric trolling motor included. Built out a one-inch marine-grade plywood. Built out of one-inch one-inch marine-grade plywood. It was stained and sealed. The price also includes a five-gallon gas tank and a fish finder Holy and fire extinguishers, flares, a horn. Three rod holders, a telescoping paddle. Man, contact Cameron Stone. I can see Rustin. Oh, wow. Cameron put his email address. Cameron, you don't want to do that, brother. But we're <laughs> going to put it because he, he gave it to us. Hey, I can see You can Rustin. email Cameron if you're serious. Where at? Where can you email at him? Cameron.s.stone1994 at gmail.com. Mm. I can see Rustin right now, power sliding with them. Four, number size 14. Or 15s. They, they fit the like a size 15 good boots. Boat. And the El Camino hooked up to this Boston way. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Sliding I up might in get a, all three hey. before this podcast drops. You yes. know what kind of street cred you'd have loading that thing in by me to the game? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's what I'm talking about. Man. Roll up at the long pond. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is like a package deal. Now, is that it comes with a gas, a five-gallon gas tank? Is that full or empty? Because that'll affect the value. <laughs> yeah, You'll have to email Cameron Stone. All right. Well. We need some boxing gloves if you're going to buy me then that. Yeah. But if you pull up the El Camino with that, they ain't nobody going to mess with it. Yeah. Uh-uh. Uh, that's great. If Rustin don't want it, then Media needs to buy it for a new, a new DOS boat episode. They put yeah, out. yeah. Pull the El Camino across the country. Yeah. I'd like to take that take El, Camino El Camino bear hunting. How about that? Strap a bear on top. There you yeah. go. Put a winch in the back. Then we pull him up in the back a lot yeah. easier. Buy that El yeah. Camino and put that boat behind it. And... 
mullet machine. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grow mullet. <laughs> Ralph, I got a question before we get out of here. Shoot. Forever. And I've seen a study that was published out of, I think it was South Carolina Department of Natural Resources did a study on the effects of coon hunting bothering deer or deer hunters. Have you got an opinion on that? Have you, as far as how, what the I do? So growing up, coon hunting was my number one sport. Okay, mm. uh, even above deer hunting. There you uh, go. Nice. We we coon hunted six nights a week, and the only reason that we didn't coon hunt on Sunday night was we had school Monday morning. Right. Which we coon hunted the rest of the week, so it really didn't matter. <laughs> so I didn't figure that out. But uh, we coon hunted all the time, and uh, you know there were a lot of nights that we would walk in on a treed coon. And our lights would hit deer, and we'd walk right past them, and it and it never bothered them. Right. Um, I think what happens is when you get a dog that does chase deer, uh, or you hunt in a location, you know, maybe four or five times in a week, mm-hmm. then you may, um, you know, be creating some disturbance on those deer. Uh, but you got to remember, you know, deer are primary. I mean, they're primarily what's considered crepuscular, so they they move early morning. And late evening, that's their primary times to move. Now they'll they'll eat all day long, uh, but you know at nighttime they have better vision, um, and so they don't probably get as much disturbance at that time of that night. So it probably doesn't bother them. Uh, I think what bothers them, and it's just like deer leases. When when somebody hunts a deer stand, they ride that four wheeler in there seven days a week. That deer patterns that person. They know when they're there and when they leave. Yeah. And so it's, as opposed to, to coon hunters, you may walk into one place one time in a night right. and you may not be back there forever. You know, I, I just don't think that, that, you know, just one, you know, by happenstance encounter with a, with some hunters and a coon dog, that deer is going to change its, its, its movements or its patterns based on that. Now, if those dogs get after that deer, then yeah, there, there may sure. be some change, but if that, you know, and I, I read that, have you read that seen that study i have there was even uh it was like there was one car it was an enclosed place and they had these collared deer in there. there's like thousands of acres and they had this collared deer and they the one deer that was actually chased by the coon dog that struck him and run him before daylight the next morning that deer had made his way back and was within just a few feet of where he was bedded and that's telemetry data that they yeah. got off of that mm. he came back and laid back down where that dog had jumped him so and i've seen it forever you know i could yeah. a lot and my we'll, buddy uh we'll be right there on a tree and looking around hey there's a deer yeah. in there yeah my buddy ford van fossen who works for first mm-hmm. light conservation director for first light yep I know he it. once brought up that study to me and uh he said uh he said yeah you knew that was funded by the coon hunters of america didn't you <laughs> they had those biologists in their back pocket he was joking i thought it was a good joke though yeah it's probably funnier when he said it <laughs> <laughs> definitely uh hey th- thank you all for coming ralph thanks for coming up yeah. man thanks, thanks for, for what you're me. doing with uh all your all your work inside of arkansas deer hunting yeah man and we know you guys are working hard and i appreciate being here I had yeah time. man and now that i know you're a coon hunter you're gonna oh, have to come all, back. Yeah, you have to come back. And be on the render podcast. Shrapping, man. I, if you can kill it, need it. I'm all about it. There oh, you go. <laughs> Good. Johnson boys, great to have y'all. Y'all got some Good big bucks here. tied up somewhere, don't we you? We do have them found. Just busted. Go. You're busted. This was <laughs> your trap. You got them tied up. Why don't you tell us about that? 
We got them found. There you go. Hey, Clay, <laughs> Clay, you won't believe it, but I was inadvertently after a 200-inch deer on opening week. No way. I really? didn't know it yet, though. Really? Yeah. So I got some intel You're not going to tell me what state, though. Yeah. Arkansas. Oh. We yeah. just scored it. Northwest Arkansas. Oh, the guy, the guy killed it. It's the one yeah. the guy killed. No yeah. way. You, wow. you were hunting over by him. Well, technically, I was hunting the same area. I won't say where, but... Uh, I had a guy that gives me some intel, feeds me some intel, and he sent me a picture of it like two days before it was killed. And I was like, okay, I'm getting ready. I'm I'm amped up. I'm about to put cameras out. And then I, I get a picture because I know the guy that killed it. Mm. And he sent me a picture. He said, will y'all score this? I said, oh, it's that buck. <laughs> yeah. I'll be darned. So it was two, legit. 202. Really? 202 and 38. Killed with a bow. Yeah. Oh, crossbow. 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 Here's I'll one that just got killed off of public land in Arkansas. Uh, Wattensaw WMA outside of Hazen. Oh yeah, that's a beautiful deer. Wow, look at that G two with the. It's a three prong G two. Look at yep. that. It looks like a G two. Did oh, I wow. see that right? Wow, Man, that's a dandy. People I, always ask me, you know, where where do I need to go kill big that is, bucks? That's a dandy. You, you can kill woods. them anywhere, as long as you can put some age on them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our entire state has genetic yeah. potential. It's all about if you want big bucks, you got to pass them when they're little bucks. That's yeah. just, I mean, really what you got to do 100 percent. good stuff <clears throat> so y'all are on some deer yeah there's that big deer sure. well thank you all mo good to see you man you thanks for coming i know you'll have a big buck story here soon i hope <laughs> all right guys see you next time Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule, and it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com Grease.